It's episode number 20 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me. Super happy to be here with you all again and another episode where I get to answer your questions, which is my favorite. You all know that by now, but can't wait to get to these questions, which we will get to in just a second. But of course, there's going to be a few announcements here first. Uh, First of all, I just wanted to give a little shout out to everyone that I met this weekend. I had a pretty busy weekend doing actually some random work functions that happened that came up. Saturday was a NTA conference, Nutritional Therapy Association conference here in Denver, which it was just a one-day thing specifically geared towards kind of athletic performance and how we as nutritionists can support that. And I was asked to help out in... Uh, registering people. So I got to say hi to everybody and it was great. And there were a few people that came up to me that listened to this podcast. And so shout out to you all. And then yesterday I actually had a keto meetup talk. So went again down to Denver to my favorite restaurant in Denver, Just Be Kitchen. It's a 100% paleo restaurant. So that means it's all grain-free and uh, dairy-free and refined sugar-free, soy-free, all those things. So they make real food, which is always nice to have and be able to look at the menu and order anything off of it without making any adjustments is really cool for someone that doesn't do dairy or grains. So it's my favorite, but they also asked me if I wanted to do a little event there. And of course I accepted because how cool is that? So we had a group of women come and and meet up and chatted about keto and what it is for those that didn't know. And there were a few people that weren't quite sure and uh, who it's good for, why it's different for women, all that stuff I talk about here on the podcast. But I did it in person, which is, of course, so fun and, and a little different and, you know, just nice to connect with people on that level after being so used to being behind a mic. I realize how much I love being in front of actual people. So maybe there will be some more speaking engagements in the future, some more meetups and things like that. But shout out to those gals too that came out. And I know many of them listen or will be listening to this podcast now that we've met. So Yay! Happy to meet you all in person and hopefully I get to meet more of you listeners in the future in person because it's way better. It really is. As much as I love doing podcasts, I love seeing your faces and just chatting one-on-one. It's always great. Now, this week is an important week. This episode is an important episode. If you are someone that wants to do the Fat-Burning Female Project, because like I teased last week, I'm going to be talking today about more specifically who may not be good for the project. Uh, I've spoken a lot about the Fat-Burning Female project that I run every other month in the past now 20 episodes, Um, but I haven't really spent that much time talking about who it may not be good for because I really truly think that it could be good for everyone and it will be good for everyone. And I'm speaking in terms of women, of course, since it's Fat-Burning Female. But 
I think I, in the past few rounds, I've gotten a better feel of who may not be at the right spot mentally, physically, emotionally for this project. And so I thought it would be a good idea to talk about it now because if you're listening to this remotely close to when it airs, which would be Friday, October 27th, 2017, our next class starts in a week. And uh, enrollment starts Wednesday, November 1st. So less than a week away, we have enrollment. And then a week from today, we get our materials to start on Monday. So November 1st is the enrollment date. November 3rd is the course material delivery date. And then our actual course starts November 6th. So we actually start the six-week situation on the 6th. But now that this is my sixth time running the course, I feel like every time I'm learning more and more. And in the past round, I learned a lot about some people that may not be ready for this. And I want to just be totally brutally honest because I really think that it doesn't help either one of us for people that aren't right for the class to be in the class. And I think that you all would agree. You don't want to invest your money and time into something that you're not right for or not ready for. And I don't want you to do that either. So I want to be totally brutally honest here and just tell you who I think this wouldn't be right for. So in the past, I have said the person that is not right for the Fat Burning Female Project would be someone who wants to try the next fad diet, get the next quick fix, just try something because they're on this nonstop, I just want to do all the things for my diet to try to change everything and just do all the things to try to lose weight. Those would be some people that weren't right for the project. Now to get more in depth with that, let's talk more specifically. So if you are someone who really loves your MyFitnessPal, how you're tracking your food, using the apps, not open to changing that, then clearly you're not right for the project. I think that should be pretty obvious because I do talk about how it is a totally different system than anything you've ever used in order to get into ketosis. And it does not involve MyFitnessPal and it does not involve percentages or grams or anything like that. So if that's something that you're going to have a really hard time giving up or wrapping your head around or being willing to change, then you may want to wait until you are at a point where you would be willing to try something new before you join the Fat Burning Female Project. If you're someone that is doing a ketogenic diet and it's working out really well for you and you feel really good and you don't want to change anything, clearly that's not the right time to get into a program that might be different than what you're doing. If you are also someone who's doing keto, maybe it's not going so well, but you also have this very strong fear of carbohydrates and you're not willing to slightly increase your carbohydrates to see how you do with them at any point, even if it's for a week, then again, that might not be something where right now is the right time for you to be a fat-burning female. You may want to wait until you've loosened up those strings a little bit and are ready to learn more about your body. And that's what I really want to get into. This class is not a weight loss class. This class is a health gain class. I cannot say that enough or with enough strength. Of course, I understand that weight loss is something that a lot of us are seeking, uh, but you have to understand that 
your weight is a symptom of something else manifesting in your body as far as health issues go. And I want to work on those issues. Okay, so if you are ready to look at those issues, to figure out what they are, to heal them, and then see what happens with your weight, then cool, let's do it. I'm super excited for the next round. It's going to be great. So this class, if you want to learn more super in detail about what it is, please go back to episode 14. I spent the first 20, 25 minutes of that episode explaining the class in my own words. Uh, So I'm not going to do that here today, but I am going to reiterate the fact that we are working on gaining health and getting into a ketogenic state to do so while also learning a ton about your body, being intuitive, changing your mindset, eating enough food, really nourishing your body and mind and soul, all of it at once, connecting with other women very much like you and very supportive, loving, caring, kind, amazing women. We have the best Facebook group out there, I truly believe. If that is something that's calling to you right now at this stage of your ketogenic journey, then yes, you are the person that will get the most out of this class. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. Yay. So now that I got that out of the way, just talking logistics, which I know most of you already know, but like I said, November 1st is the start of enrollment. That will start that morning. And as we know, it also sells out quickly. So if you know you want to be part of the November fat-burning female class, I would really recommend taking some time in that morning to enroll. And then be prepared on November 3rd to get all your materials. And we'll get started. I can't wait to be part of this class. As everyone will tell you that has already been through it, I'm super, super, super involved in the course. So it's not like you just go through it all and you never hear from me. Not only do you hear from me because there's tons of video and audio lessons with me in it, but I'm also heavily in the uh, Facebook group. I'm in there multiple times per day, as is two helpers of mine that will be able to answer your questions too. So you're not going through this alone. You have all the other current fat-burning females and past fat-burning females that are still in the group and super active, plus me. I'll be there too, helping you along every step of the way. It is my passion to do so, and I love every single second of it. Okay, the only other thing before we get into today's questions, I've had a lot of people comment that they haven't been able to get the supplement download that I attached to episode number 18. It was a topic we talked the whole time about supplements I do and don't recommend for keto women, and there was an down, a downloadable PDF also available with that episode, and some people are having problems getting it. If that is you, it is a situation where sometimes when you 
enter your email address to confirm that email address, that confirmation goes to your junk or trash or spam or whatever you have that is kind of helping you monitor your emails. So you really have to go in there and look. It may also be a case where um, you're if you've gotten through and then you're just not getting the PDF, you need to make sure that your web browser accepts PDFs. So that would be something to work on on your end. And in some people, if you're using like a work email address or something like that, they'll have kind of heavier restrictions on you know, what you can enter and get through your email that you're using. So you may need to use a different email address. A personal email address would be best. Something like a Gmail or a Yahoo Yahoo or something like that. And that should help a lot of you get that. And if you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't listened, go back to episode 18 and listen to that one. It was a really good one. And it's actually spurred some of the questions I'm now going to answer in today's episode because Uh, We talked a lot about different conditions that might need different supplements. And so now I think we can actually talk about those actual conditions, starting with PCOS, which is so big in the keto community and for good reason. Let me just read this really quick question and then we'll get on to the topic of PCOS and keto. This is from Jessica. Love your podcast. Looking to get more information for keto and women who suffer with PCOS. I take 1,000 milligrams of metformin each day for my PCOS and wonder if this medication will hinder or help me along the way in my keto diet. Just wrapping up week one. Thanks, Jessica. Okay, so first let's break down PCOS. I think I've done it a couple times on the show, but never hurts to do it again for those that may be new listeners or not have listened to that episode yet. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. That is PCOS. It is... When anything that has the word syndrome attached, basically all that means is that it is a combination of symptoms that when they all combine together equal this thing. It doesn't mean that it's a disease state or anything like that. It's a syndrome. It's a compilation of symptoms. Those symptoms are different from woman to woman for sure who are dealing with PCOS, but They all have one thing in common, and that is that they are all tied to your blood sugar. It is a hormonal imbalance due to a blood sugar dysregulation. That's pretty much the most layman's term I can get with talking about PCOS. What happens is when you have an elevated level of insulin in your blood, this corresponds to also having an elevated level of testosterone in your body as well. So it they kind of go hand in hand. When insulin increases, testosterone will follow. Commonly, we then also see that DHEA increases. So these are our two androgen hormones, our two quote unquote male hormones that we have plenty of, of as women. And in women with PCOS, DHEA and testosterone are elevated. And that is the first thing that is really, in my opinion, as a functional nutritionist, that is the first thing I look for. And basically, the only thing I really actually need to get someone on a PCOS type protocol. I personally don't, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't diagnose anything. 
and I don't diagnose people with PCOS, but if I see a trend in how they are feeling and these hormonal markers and other kind of symptoms that we'll talk about, then I put them on this protocol that is great for people with PCOS because we're working on your blood sugar. And that's the one common thing, like I just said. So if you have elevated testosterone, we can assume your insulin is elevated, although always great to test. And I highly recommend getting a fasting insulin test if you think you have PCOS or know you have PCOS. That's something that you should be monitoring pretty regularly, along with your fasting blood glucose and your HbA1c. Now, um, these three are more than likely in women with PCOS going to be dysregulated at least one, probably all three to some degree, going to be dysregulated because of that elevated insulin. Uh, usually elevated insulin comes about because of the of an elevated blood glucose level. So they kind of work hand in hand too. Now, when you have these elevated levels of androgen hormones, so testosterone and DHEA, when those are elevated, you also have other symptoms that look like excess facial hair, thinning head hair, weight gain, uh, acne or other skin issues, especially on the chin and jawline, um, irritability, moodiness, anxiety, depression. A lot of things happen in the whole uh, mental health world when those androgen hormones are elevated fatigue, headaches, all that kind of stuff, some of the stuff that just comes along with having hormonal imbalances in general. So I know a lot of women who are listening right now that are dealing with PCOS, they can totally agree with all of those or at least many of those, weight gain being one of the most common. And really the reason why is yes, these hormones are out of balance, but also because you have a blood sugar imbalance as well. And that's what we really need to work on fixing. That's really kind of that root cause issue that's at the heart of what you're experiencing. And again, like I mentioned in the beginning when I was talking about the fat burning female, this is a situation, one of many situations where you are experiencing weight gain as a symptom of something much deeper going on. And so for me to create a program that's going to be like, here, lose weight by doing this is not going to get you anywhere to where you want to be. Or I could create a program, which I did, to troubleshoot those health issues for you, that blood sugar issue, get you to this point where you can heal your blood sugar and then you experience these lessening of symptoms or the absence of these symptoms, hopefully eventually, once that blood sugar and those hormones are regulated. So that's why I come from this place of I want to work with women who understand that there's more to the story. There's more to what's going on in your body that's expressing itself as weight gain or acne or headaches or all of these things that we get quite commonly. Uh, those are That's my passion project right there. I want to help you get to that root cause. Um, so that's what fat brings females for. Side note. Um, so as far as PCOS, I mean, ketogenic diet we know is the most effective quickest, in my opinion, probably the best way to work on that blood sugar, to get your blood sugar regulated, to get your insulin levels down, which then in turn will also lower your testosterone levels and your DHEA levels. 
So we really need to work on that blood sugar. And that's why, I mean, keto, it's actually been studied, is an a very effective, even in studies, way to reverse PCOS because of what it's doing to your blood sugar and being at that really nice, stable, steady blood sugar all throughout the day, not having these huge swings, not having this elevated insulin or this elevated glucose at any point throughout the day. That's what's important. And that's why people take metformin. So when you go to the doctor and you get diagnosed with PCOS, you will be put on metformin. Metformin is not a PCOS drug. I want to make that clear because I have a lot of women coming to me just being like, yeah, I just take metformin for my PCOS and you know, everything's fine. Metformin is a diabetes drug. It is made for diabetics to take to help lower their insulin levels, their blood sugar levels, and put that into a normal category. So like I said, it's also going to work for people, or at least that is what doctors will go to and have been taught to go to for PCOS as well because it is a blood sugar issue. So I just want to make that clear. You are actually being put on a drug for diabetes, not a drug for PCOS, not a drug to balance your hormones. So keep that in mind. And if you are someone who has PCOS and you're on metformin, that's if that's what is making you feel really good, if it's worked for you and things are going really well, then awesome. But keep in mind that we are working on your blood sugar and more than likely, 99% of people with PCOS, you're not going to just get relief from taking metformin. You also have to do the work with your diet, which switching to a ketogenic lifestyle will do so in order to really heal your blood sugar and not just rely on that medication. And if you're someone who's on it that wants to get off, you absolutely could work with your doctor for sure to do so, but you definitely could because you have adopted a ketogenic diet and you've stabilized your blood sugar. Um, I just want to make it clear what that protocol is that comes from your doctor. And I talked in episode 18 about ways that you can actually support yourself naturally or with uh, herbal supports that would do a very similar thing to metformin, but aren't a prescription medication and aren't going to have these potential side effects that prescription medications do. So there is a way to do it in a more natural approach for sure. But again, only if you're also going to work on your diet and truly get into a ketogenic state and stay there and allow your body and allow your blood sugar to heal. Now, keep in mind too that we are healing the blood sugar to balance your hormones out. So balance those androgenic hormones, DHEA and testosterone, which will come down as you work on your blood sugar and get into this keto state and stay there. I highly recommend as someone who is now working on their health from the inside out, instead of just focusing on, oh, I have PCOS, this is what it is. You can do more for yourself. Um, And to do so, I really recommend keeping a close monitor on those three blood sugar markers that I just talked about, HbA1c, um, which is basically a three-month average of what your blood glucose does at every given point in that entire three months. It takes an average of it. It's kind of cool. Your fasting blood glucose and your fasting insulin. And then also do the same with your hormones. 
you need to be getting a pretty updated check on those androgenic hormones and really overall all of your hormones and your adrenal status because they all play into each other. And I have yet to see anyone with PCOS that doesn't also have estrogen dominance and doesn't also have cortisol dysregulation because it's all playing into each other. So really monitoring your hormones Again, I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say this every time I talk about hormones via saliva or urine testing. That is what's going to get you the most accurate test, which is what you really need when you have something as specific as PCOS. Make sure you're monitoring that pretty regularly. And I would say by that, I mean every six months for sure. If you're doing the work with your diet and lifestyle changes and everything like that, you definitely want to keep up to date with that. Um, The only other thing I'll say about PCOS, I think right now, well, a couple things, I think. First of all, I do want to remind you that while it's called polycystic ovarian syndrome, it does or does not involve polycystic ovaries. So that's, again, kind of another symptom that comes about when we have these elevated androgens uh, in our body. If when that hormonal imbalance is happening, it can produce these polycystic ovaries, but it doesn't have to. So again, that's something where once I see those elevated androgens, for me, that's enough to be like, all right, this is a PCOS type situation. Let's get you on this protocol, heal your blood sugar, get these hormones back in balance, and you will be good to go, girlfriend. So exciting that it can be that easy to just really work on this and and change it from a holistic level. To actually answer Jessica's question, if um, metformin will help or hinder her on her way to the keto diet, it is probably not going to do either. In a way, it could help if it's actually working to heal your blood sugar. It could help you get into ketosis, but I've actually seen many women have it hinder them getting into ketosis, and it's basically just because if you are someone who has PCOS, again, you have that blood sugar dysregulation, and it does take a little bit more effort and often more time for women with PCOS to get into a true ketogenic state where they can heal because of that blood sugar. So keep that in mind and don't get frustrated and don't beat yourself up if it's not working for you right away, if you're not getting those ketone readings you're looking for. Remember, your bigger purpose is to heal the blood sugar and that can happen with or without ketone production. You're already doing the right things just by trying and, and making that effort to follow a ketogenic diet. And it's, it's not something where it heals in a matter of weeks or months even. If you have dysregulated blood sugar to the point where you have uh, elevated androgen hormones, it's going to take a little bit to back that down and to get your body comfortable again. But it will happen, I promise. And go back, if you haven't listened, go back to those uh, supplement recommendations I talked about in 18. And if you are on metformin and want to get off Go to your doctor and see about getting off and then using the herbal supports perhaps to help. And the fat-burning female would be amazing for you. Okay, moving on. Hi, Sean. First of all, I would like to thank you for creating this podcast and giving us women such great knowledge each week. I wish your podcast existed when I started just five weeks ago. My question is regarding birth control. 
Recently, I asked my gynecologist about going off the pill due to recent articles I've read regarding what these pills do to women's bodies. I also informed her I was starting the keto diet, of which she was very supportive. Ooh, that's exciting. My doctor then said there is no reason to go off of the pill if I enjoy the benefits of regular periods and reduced PMS symptoms, which is why I started taking them in the first place. However, she said if I decide to go off the pill to wait until I have been on keto for a while so I am not putting my body through so much change at once. I have now been eating keto for five weeks and I'm feeling like I want to try to go off the pill. I'm concerned if this is too early still. Do you have any advice on this and how long I should wait? Thanks, Tanya. Okay, so Tanya has a great question that really for me just brought up the, well, basically reminded me that I wanted to talk to you all about birth control uh, because I do have a lot of women looking to heal their hormones in the Fat Burning Female Project, but they're still using birth control. And I'm not going to tell you, this is not really my time or place right now to talk to you about getting off the pill. If that's something that you want to talk about in the future, I'm happy to talk about how or why or whatever what else to do, other options for birth control that are safer for sure. What I do want to explain are a few things. First of all, if you are on the birth control pill and eating a ketogenic diet, you may notice that it's harder to get into ketosis. Uh, I've seen that quite often, just the changes in, in hormones, the synthetic hormones running through your blood at all times, uh, just I've I've seen it not go all that well. Not that it's impossible. It just might take longer and may take a little bit more effort, I guess you could say. The second thing about birth control pills, I just want to say, I'm just going to say it right here and just be totally honest with you. I am not pro birth control pill. I do not think that they are good for us as women. I think actually most synthetic hormones, actually all synthetic hormones aren't that great for us. And uh, replacing those is not something we want to do for long-term health. Uh, The birth control pill in particular is uh, damaging on multiple levels. And we'll talk about hormones in a second, but The pill does cause some nutritional deficiencies, specifically in B vitamins, which that's what causes us to feel um, mentally insecure, I guess we could say, when on the birth control pill and more emotional and maybe more depressed and uh, have temper tantrums and things like that. It's these nutritional deficiencies that happen that are playing a really big role. Not all of it, which we're going to talk about hormones in a second, but I do just want to bring that up. If you are looking for reasons as to why you would even ever get off the pill, that could be one of them for you. The other one would be because if you are someone and you're listening to this podcast, so I assume that you are a woman who is remotely concerned about their hormones. And if you are that person who is remotely concerned about their hormones, then pumping your body with synthetic hormones is not the way to go to work on your health. It will actually probably do the opposite. It will probably make your hormones even harder to balance out once you do get off because your body hasn't had to do that for itself in a really long time, depending on how long you've been on it. And anytime you're popping a pill that contains hormones, your body doesn't have to do that work. And, um, you know, I see it on a pretty much daily basis, people taking years to recover from being on birth control. Uh, so 
looking to get pregnant, um, looking to get back to their healthy weight, looking to feel better mentally, uh, have energy again. I mean, it can take a really long time uh, for you to get that back after, you know, being on any sort of birth control option that is hormonal. Along with that, it also makes it really hard for you to actually get a true idea of what your hormonal health is. There's really no way for you to see what your hormones are doing, whether they're balanced or imbalanced, whether they're causing your health issues or not, because you don't know. We can't see that from your status and what your body is doing when you are uh, supplementing with that. So again, just another reason that's why I'm super passionate about it mainly is just because I really love seeing women be empowered around their hormones and balancing them out naturally and um, getting to the bottom of their root cause health issues and why they're experiencing all these symptoms. It's a hormonal issue so many times and you can't get there if you are still on the pill. So that was my really long spiel of the day as to basically why I don't like hormonal birth control. But what I do want to talk about as far as Tanya's question is, first of all, how to monitor getting off birth control with keto. You can be keto and you can get off birth control all at the same time. It is not really a stressor on your body in either case, uh, to get off birth control, you just don't start the next pack. Um, again, talk to your doctor before you do anything with your prescription medications, but that's pretty much all you do. You just don't start the next pack and then you see what your body does naturally. Give it some time to kind of regulate itself and then you can gauge your hormonal health from there. You can also just go keto and it's also not that stressful on your body, especially if you're doing it in the fat burning female approach. It's a little bit of a transition, yes, but uh, nothing super crazy and we'll take that stressor right out of it. So no big deal. Um, I do think that when her doctor said, I just wanted to point this out, which is why I had this whole conversation, that there's no reason to go off of the pill if you enjoy the benefits of regular periods and reduce PMS. Keep in mind everything I just said and um, that's not something that doctors are trained to know or to do. So They don't know, they haven't maybe seen or read the research on birth control pills and what they can do for your nutritional balance and your hormones. So keep that in mind that that's something that if you want to go off birth control pills, if it feels like maybe the right decision, it may not be something that your doctor promotes, but you can be your own advocate, you can do your own research, uh, you can just, doesn't really matter what they want, it's your body. And if you want to get off, get off and let them know that that's your decision and you're good. But don't fear being keto and getting off. It will only help the situation and will only help your body get back to a balanced status quicker by being in a ketogenic state when you get off your birth control pills. So great question. It was something I wanted to just make sure I brought up because I do have a lot of people, a lot of ladies in the Fat Burning Female Project and people I work one-on-one with that are still using birth control that um, don't quite understand the health impacts of that. And clearly we're all in this state of wanting to be the healthiest version of us and that's going to put a damper on it. And there are plenty of ways to have birth control options that don't do so. Okay? Okay. 
Moving right along to another topic that kind of came up when I was talking about these supplements that I recommend, and that is no gallbladder. And this is really actually much more common in the keto community than I expected. Many people have asked me questions about keto without a gallbladder, so I'm just going to read one, but this has been an overwhelming question that I've had. This particular one is from Kara. I have a quick question about, uh, question about keto for women without a gallbladder. Wondering if this is something you might cover in a future episode. I eat a healthy whole foods diet and have a good supplement plan that includes digestive enzymes and pre and probiotics. Hoping keto is okay for someone like me. All my best to you, Kara. Okay, so I think this is an interesting topic because I feel like there's a little bit of fear happening in the keto community or people that don't know a ton about keto and how it would work without a gallbladder because technically you are told if you don't have a gallbladder, then you don't digest fats well. And so increasing your fats to the level that we need for a ketogenic diet would be pretty scary. And a lot of people would tell you not to do so. However, if you actually look at the function of what the gallbladder does and how it all works, then you would understand that actually a ketogenic diet can be great for not having a gallbladder because let me just explain the whole situation. So I think I've mentioned this in the past, but let's chat about it again. Uh, your When you eat dietary fat, it is broken down by bile. So our liver produces this substance called bile and it moves into our GI tract when we eat enough fatty meal and it needs to be broken down. And bile will then do so and, and we make fatty acids into which we can use for all of the amazing things that we need fatty acids for. The gallbladder's main responsibility is to store that bile. So the liver makes it, it gets stored so there is easy access. When you have a fat in your meal and you need that bile, it can just come right from the gallbladder and uh, it's there, it's ready to go. That doesn't mean though, if you don't have that storage mechanism, it doesn't mean you're not producing bile, you're still producing it It may be just that your liver works maybe a little bit harder when you eat fat to get enough bile produced and flowing to break down those dietary fats. So the system isn't gone or done or anything like that. It just is a little different. It just is a little maybe quicker. So there's less stored form, but there's still hopefully just as much produced form. So no big deal. We can still eat dietary fats. And in really anybody, regardless of what kind of diet they're eating, I do recommend um, the ox bile support, which I talked about in episode 18, because you are then also helping, you're providing a little bit of bile from an outside source to help that along to make sure that there is enough which is great. And most people without a gallbladder will do really well with that and feel really good and be able to be on a ketogenic diet and be just fine. Now, why keto might be good for someone with no gallbladder is because when we eat dietary fats, especially good quality, nutrient-dense, unrefined, extra virgin, grass-fed, all of the words that we use to talk about this high-quality, nutrient-dense, ketogenic diet that we as Keto for Women uh, follow, when you eat 
a large amount of those fats, we use those fats to help build bile. So we need good high quality fats that those fatty acids make bile, which also then the bile then goes to break down fatty acids. So it's this cycle. So we need those fats to help our liver make the bile that it needs to continue breaking down fats, which is a really cool thing to think about. And it's really an interesting way that our bodies work. And so it can totally work for you. These excess fats are going to do good things for you as long as you're breaking them down. So that's where that ox bile does come in handy. I do recommend that. I've seen a lot of women actually get to a point once they are doing a ketogenic diet and have been following this high fat protocol for a period of time, they actually end up not needing the bile at all anymore because they are now... They've worked to cleanse their liver. They've worked to produce the bile needed. Their liver is working really well and really efficiently. And they actually find that when taking the ox bile, it's hurting their progress as opposed to helping it. And I think I mentioned that in the episode about the supplements. If you are someone without a gallbladder and you take ox bile and it helps, meaning that you have uh, digested your fats, you're not feeling bloated after meals, your stool is a nice color and it doesn't float and it's formed, then that is a sign that that is really working for you. If you take ox bile and it makes your stools unformed or too loose, uh, if it gives you more digestive distress than you had before, then you probably don't need it. Maybe you've gotten to that point where you can do without and maybe you just need some liver support. And so that's really the next step. Everyone should also, like I mentioned in that episode, if you're listening to this and you are a keto lady, then you should be taking a liver support. The addition would come if you don't have a gallbladder, you'd be taking the ox bile support as well. But you may, without a gallbladder, get to a point where just that liver support is enough. And that would be if you again, have those symptoms, but the liver support is really just making sure that we're continuing to nourish our liver to get it to its absolute best capacity. And that's when you will be have no problems making the amount of bile you need for your ketogenic diet. And that's um, really important for all of us to do, to make sure we have this awesome, super supported liver that will will help our ketogenic diet. And this the supplement I recommended will help with that. Now, of course, we should also be doing things in our daily lives to support our liver too, which is to reduce any and all toxins that you can from your life. Toxins, in my opinion, include things that your body doesn't recognize, doesn't know what that is. That would be, and I think I see it most commonly nowadays, even in obviously all of our environments, um, things that we can't control, but things we can control are our cleaning supplies, our laundry detergents, our um, dishwashing soap, things like that that we are getting in touch with every single day that are super toxic to our bodies and super easy to switch out. So that would be something to consider. Those kind of practices are great, but also uh, you can eat foods that are very supportive of your liver as well. Um, such as like bitter greens, uh, root vegetables, citrus fruits. And I know some of these I'm saying, and you're like, well, those aren't ketogenic foods, but I'm not talking about eating 
an entire orange, I'm talking about maybe having some lemon in your water, putting some lime on your taco salad, something like that is is perfect. And same thing with root vegetables. You don't have to ha- eat an entire head of beets. <laughs> you can just have maybe half a beet or a whole beet or something like that. And like I've mentioned in the past, beets are, in my opinion, are not a non-ketogenic food. I find them to work just fine in most people's ketogenic diets. So like Kara said, she's also including some digestive enzymes and pre and probiotics. Those, of course, are also great for a lot of people, whether you have a gallbladder or not. Uh, But that's not specifically going to help with that lack of gallbladder. The specific help will come from the ox bile and the liver support. So keep that in mind too. But I hope people don't shy away from keto just because they don't have a gallbladder. Like I said, I think it actually is a really good thing. Great question, Kara. Thank you. And I know that applies to a lot of people listening right now. Okay, this is the last question that I think might be a pretty big answer. I actually, I'm going to read all of these because I think that there's, it's so fascinating. They're all slightly different, but all asking the same thing. I think there's like three or four of them. And they're all based on sweeteners, which is such an important topic. So the first one, this is from Tracy. Can we have sugar-free items? I know that artificial sweeteners are bad and I use stevia and even buy the Zevia drink, but occasionally I love a Diet Coke or sugar-free pudding. So I would really like your input is if this is something that would stop ketosis or if occasionally it's okay. Next question is from Lillian. In a future show, can you discuss all the sugars out there that are allowed on the ketogenic diet and when someone should have it in a fat bomb or when you might want to stay away. I bought a book and was going to order some of the sweetening ingredients online, but I'm thinking maybe I should wait. Thanks. Uh, Next one, next couple don't have names. Keto sweeteners, especially for someone who has digestive issues. I know you recommend yacon syrup, which I'm all for trying, but I do feel a little skeptical about some of the other options. It might just be that I don't know much about them. Are there any others you would approve of using when you're keeping gut health in mind. Next one, I have a question for you. I'm pretty good with sugar in general, but I get some serious cravings when I'm about to have my period and was wondering if you have any advice on the best way to curb that sugar dragon. I've never used sweeteners, but I seen some recipes with swerve and other similar sweeteners. Are these okay? Would you recommend sticking to keto approved fruit or are keto desserts kosher to satiate the sweet tooth? Thanks and keep up the good work. Okay, so I love this topic. Um, I feel like I have a lot to say, and I feel like what I say may not be all that similar to what you may have heard others say in the ketogenic community. So keep that in mind. This is basically just my opinion, my well-thought-out, educated opinion about this topic. If you don't agree with me, I'm cool with that. Totally cool with that. So my top keto-friendly sweeteners are, number one, stevia. And when I say stevia, I mean organic stevia leaf extract. So the big problem with stevia, obviously, I really think, honestly, the only problem with stevia is that sometimes that taste is just unbearable, at least for me. I'm not a huge fan of stevia. I can definitely taste that bitter aftertaste. Sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not. I've made several different uh, dessert recipes with stevia that I have found I was able to disguise that aftertaste. 
Um, so there's a couple of my fat bomb recipes and things like that, that I use stevia and it's just fine. Uh, the, the reason why I prefer it the most, I guess, is because I think it's the easiest found to be totally clean, good ingredients, easy to find, easy to use. And for me, when I think of the sweeteners that I want to use overall, I think of, are these sweeteners something I can find in nature? And that really means Am I, in my opinion, and because this is something really important for my health and for everyone I help, their health too, I want my body to recognize it. I want my body to know what to do with it. I want to only eat real food because that's what my body knows how to process and digest and get the nutrients from. And so, yeah, you can go into nature and find a stevia leaf and bite that leaf and it tastes sweet. And I think that's really cool and that that says a lot. The problem with stevia is that a lot of them, especially the ones that are in powder form, are not just stevia. In fact, there's very little stevia actually in it. So that's something that you really, really have to check and monitor for yourself. I'll put a link to the one that I use and that I recommend uh, in the show notes of this episode and you can check that out. But I really like to use and much prefer people use the uh, liquid form because then you can know that it's literally just stevia, organic stevia leaf extract. That's what it should say. My second favorite is yacon syrup. This is one that I don't think is out there all that much, although I'm, I see some recipes here and there that use it or hear some people here and there that use it, but I use it a lot and I've used it in probably uh, 90% of my keto dessert recipes. Now, some people in keto might shy away from it because it does have a tiny bit of sugar, like actual grams of sugar. It's not 100% sugar-free, but that sugar we're not actually digesting in the same way as we would digest um, like table sugar. So it's not having any effect on our blood sugar because it's a prebiotic. So the sugars are part of this prebiotic fiber that actually goes, goes to feed our good gut bacteria, which is really important. So it's kind of also doing a nice health benefit for us besides just sweetening our keto treats, which I also find uh, to be important. Um, And again, this goes with my criteria of real food and can I find it in nature? And you can. It comes from a root that you find mainly in Peru and it's kind of their main form of sweetener and it's even used in that culture as a health tonic. So Um, And for blood sugar regulation and metabolic regulation, believe it or not, which is crazy because it's like a sweetener. You wouldn't think that's possible, but that just goes to show how it's actually not doing anything to our blood sugar. So that's one reason why I like it. The other reason I really like the taste. I think it works really well in most recipes. Like you cannot taste the difference of using yacon in a cookie versus using white sugar in that same cookie. It really has an amazing flavor and uh, is easy to use in baked goods. It is um, comes kind of like molasses, so it is a liquid, 
It tastes a little bit like a very light molasses in a way. Uh, so I know a lot of women use it in their coffee and you can use like the teeniest, tiniest bit and it sweetens it up. So that's something to consider too. I think maybe the biggest downfall is that it is more expensive than uh, other options out there, but I personally think it's worth it. And I think that this is something we'll talk about for the amount that you're actually going to be using it. It's worth it. It's not that much. And you're using so little, like I use one tablespoon in an entire batch of muffins and it is perfectly sweet. So you're using so little of it and it's great. My third favorite would be monk fruit. Uh, again, something you can find in nature, something that is you know, that is just a fruit that we can find in nature if we really went out looking for it in the right places of the world. And tastes really good, is easy to use. I really like it. Again, I think it's obvious. I think the main drawback is its expense. But again, make sure that you are finding the pure form. And especially if you're looking for it in powder form, make sure that is the only ingredient listed. Now, Number four, you're probably all waiting for me to talk about it, erythritol. I really can't say that I am for it and I can't say that I'm against it. I'm kind of a little bit indifferent about it. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to use. I think anyone could use some of it on occasion and be just fine. Um, It is found in in nature in a way. It's derived from the natural sugars found in corn. And my only problem with that is that 95% of the corn that is grown is GMO. And so the likelihood that you're going to get a GMO corn-based erythritol is pretty darn high. So you really need to look for it being organic, non-GMO certified in order for me to be okay with using that erythritol. And it's out there. It's definitely out there. So just make sure you're checking that on your label if you are using erythritol. Uh, Other than that, uh, I think it's fine. Um, I think, you know, my biggest concern when I see something like that is the sugar alcohol. However, some people say that because it is digested and absorbed for the most part before it even gets into your colon, that you don't experience the digestive distress that you do with most sugar alcohols, which is, you know, one of the biggest problems with them. And while I think that that's probably true, I also personally have experienced having digestive distress after eating erythritol, and I've heard others experience that. So I don't know there's probably some spectrum as to where some people that are sensitive may notice it while others don't. And for sure, if you have any sort of GI distress or gut health issue, something where you just don't feel like your digestive system is quite right, I definitely would not go the erythritol route. You can find all these others that are just as good, if not better, and and use that. So it's not my first choice and not something I personally use when I'm making keto treats. So there's this, my status on that. Now, when we go up to the question about like Diet Coke or sugar-free pudding, those f- types of foods that you are getting in a packaged form, they contain like aspartame, sucralose, these sweeteners that while sugar-free are very damaging to your body, super toxic for you, causing more inflammation than helping anything. And um, causing this liver stress that we're trying to get away from, 
also still having this effect on your blood sugar, whether you think it is or not, whether it says it is or not, it is, it just is. So I, you know, for Tracy's question is, is that okay sometimes? Or um, will it kick you out of ketosis? Yeah, it's more than likely going to kick you out of ketosis or keep you from getting into ketosis, even if it's only occasionally. I highly, highly, highly recommend if you truly want to get into a ketogenic state for health and stay there to heal, eliminating those foods that contain these, um, you know, really toxic sweeteners. Now, I also am not opposed to like honey and maple syrup and coconut sugar and those kind of things that are more part of the paleo template. Those are used pretty regularly in paleo. But again, you can find them in nature. Um, They're very natural. They have a lot of other uh, micronutrients. So you're getting some nutritional value out of them. So I think that's really important. It's just you would have to determine how you react and respond to those. I personally am someone that can have honey and still stay in ketosis. Uh, but m- many people are not that way. So you'd have to kind of gauge how you do and how you feel after you have those things. And if that's something that you want to add into your ketogenic diet. I'm totally cool with it if it is, but you have to do that own work for yourself. Now, I can't let this topic go without also talking about treats in general, because there's tons of keto treats out there. I have an entire free, might I say, free recipe book with my 10 favorite uh, keto dessert treats that I've come up with over the past year. Um, You can actually go to my website, seanminer.com, and grab that. I'll link to that in the show notes. Anyone can get it. It's free. I highly recommend it. I use a lot of yacon syrup and I use stevia. So if you're looking for recipes that include those, go check it out. There's cake and cookies and muffins and uh, frosting, ice cream, all the good stuff. But take that with the note, and I say this in the book, that treats are still treats and there'll always be treats. So if you get to a point where you're making these keto Uh, cookies and you're having them every single day, well, that's not what you would probably do if they weren't keto. So treat that with the same mentality. Treats are great. You know, maybe you can make some cookies for your family and have a few on a Sunday afternoon. That's like your activity. But if you're trying to heal your blood sugar, trying to heal your body, your hormones, your cravings, then keep that all in mind that it is still a treat, regardless of if you're using stevia, yacon, I see a lot of ladies either in the Fat Burning Female Project or as clients who are having trouble with ketosis or struggling or still having cravings or still getting hungry. And when I actually look at their food journal or actually ask ask them what they're eating, they're still having these sweeteners on a pretty regular basis. It could be a few drops in their coffee in their morning or they're having chia seed pudding with stevia in it or they're having keto cookies or something like that on a regular basis. And that right there is your answer. So anytime you have anything sweet, I mean, I think we can all agree with this. I think it's not rocket science. When you have something sweet, even if it is stevia based and doesn't have actual sugar, it leads to a little bit more craving for that. Like you never actually break the craving cycle for that particular flavor, right? So 
you're still kind of always in this state of thinking about treats and wanting a treat after your dinner or needing sweetener in your coffee, you're still in all this cycle. Whereas if you just cut it out and it's going to be hard, it's not going to be the easiest thing for a couple weeks. If you cut it out, you will actually finally get control over those cravings. You will get in a much deeper state of ketosis and you'll feel really good and you'll have this whole different sense of sweetness too, which is really fascinating. Like I'm someone, my own personal story, I was eating 85% dark chocolate on a pretty regular basis, pretty much every day for the longest time. I was still in ketosis. I was still feeling fine. I didn't really think much of it. And then I took it out just because I kind of felt like I was like a chocoholic in a major way. So I took it out and started having other things as snacks, more like savory type foods as snacks or not having that for dessert after lunch or whatever. And then I went to eat it again a few months later and it was way too sweet. Like I couldn't, I didn't even want it. It wasn't really appealing to me because it was so sweet. And so then I picked up the 100% dark chocolate and now that's what I've been eating because I do, I just like chocolate and I do think it's a great, super easy snack for me that's high in fat and uh, quick. So now I have the 100% and that's satisfying. And it's really fascinating because I am someone who has a sweet tooth and always has. But now it's just completely changed and my cravings for that are gone because now when I have something that's sweet, it's too sweet for me and it doesn't taste good. But I didn't, I wasn't that way even a year ago. So just to let you know, it does happen. It really does help with your cravings and tolerances and what you want to eat and and your, even your hunger cues and all that is because we're also healing your blood sugar too, whether it is something that is a sweetener with sugar or not. So keep all that in mind. And yeah, totally go get my keto treat book. But keep in mind that that's a treat situation. If you're having friends over or you're having a night in with your significant other or something like that, and it's a special occasion, then have those treats. It's really fun. But um, but they're treats, always and forever treats. And that's how they should be. Okay, I hope that helped. I probably forgot some of the sweeteners out there. So if you have a particular sweetener that you're using that you want me to comment on if it's good or not, let me know. But if you don't and you're willing to switch it up, then try those first three that I mentioned. Those are my top three. You will love them. They're amazing, super easy to use, great for your blood sugar, and still get that little bit of sweetness when you need something. All right, that will do it for this episode. Don't forget to mark your calendars for Wednesday the 1st if you want to be in the fat-burning female. Uh, And I'll see everyone next week. Hey, lady. Do you want to make sure that you are doing the ketogenic diet the right way for you? Do you want to make sure you're getting all of those amazing benefits that come with producing ketones and not putting any extra stress on your body? Then head to my website and check out the Fat-Burning Female Project. We have a new class starting soon, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. Head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale, and make sure to sign up to get a notification of when the next class will be. Can't wait to see you there.